0: Random Anx Productions presents the Middle Earth Movies Rewatch. Join your hosts, Mark and Justin, with special guest Kimball as we discuss the six movies in the Middle Earth saga. Welcome everyone to the Middle Earth Saga Rewatch series. Today we'll be covering The Hobbit, Chapter 3, The Battle of the Five Armies. It's the last movie in the Hobbit trilogy, and it's the longest, but for me it's my most favorite film of the trilogy, so that's good news for me. Uh, Looking forward to talking The Hobbit with you guys, and as always I have with me my co-host Mark.
1: Hey guys, how's it going?
0: And like the previous two episodes, we have a special guest, Kimball. Hello. We want to thank you for joining us once again, all the way from Texas. And we're glad to have you back on the podcast.
2: Uh, Thank you. It's good to be here again. This is great. Highlight of my week. (laughs) Yep.
0: It's certainly enjoyable for us as well. So, uh, welcome once again. Um, so to get right into it, we finished up uh, chapter two, the Destination of Smog, and overall we gave it a, a good review and felt like it was a good overall story. Uh, Mark had a couple of nitpicks, but overall he didn't he enjoyed it. And uh, the the ending of that film ended with Smog on his way to destroy Lake Town, and we kind of left it as you know this impending doom, and then the movie ends, and we're left wondering, you know. What's going to happen? Even though we kind of knew what was going to happen if you read the book, so this film starts off directly where the desolation of Smog leaves off. Smog is on his way to destroy Lake Town, and in all the the previous two movies, as well as in the Lord of the Ring movies, the films always start out with kind of a a flashback to you know a few years ago, uh, quite some time ago. You know, it depends on the film, but. They all start out with kind of a, a history of Middle Earth. And this is the only film that doesn't start out that way. It just jumps right back into the action where part two left off. And so we get thrown in the action. We we see the the people of Lake Towns kind of scrambling to get out of town because they can tell that Smog's on his way. They see him, and they're just trying to evacuate as soon as they can and as fast as they can. So... I guess I just want to get your guys' opinion on that as far as, you know, instead of giving us a, you know, a five minute history on, on middle earth, they jump right into the action in this film. How did that play well with, with you guys? And what did you think of, of that? All right. So let's, let's start with you, Kimball.
2: Okay. Um, well, I guess I didn't notice that it didn't have a history lesson until you pointed it out. Okay. And to me, it didn't change it as much. I wasn't like let down or expecting one. I thought it flowed well because this was the film that left with such a big cliffhanger. You know, it delved right into it because a lot of times um, whenever stories try to leave you hanging, um, they'll keep you hanging even more so. And I don't like that because you just want to know what happens. And so instead of just teasing us for a half hour and then finally showing... Lake Town, uh, the movies just really get us right back into it without skipping a beat, and I like that, but <clears throat> when I first watched it, it uh, once Smog decimated the town and then he died, I thought well, now what's going to happen? Uh-huh. I didn't know, I wasn't too familiar with the story when I first watched it, I just thought, well, there's that's the end it happened so quickly, <laughs>
3: yeah. but,
2: but then that's whenever you see the title "The Battle of Five Armies," and that's really the climax of the movie, which I thought was was good.
0: yeah, yeah. Um, some good points there. Uh, for you, Mark, with being that this one kind of just jumped right back into the action, what was your initial reaction, or did you even notice it like like Kimball didn't notice it?
1: Uh, no, it was it was good, kind of right back into the action. I like it picked up right where it stopped. Uh, you know, so we didn't have to, you know, take a, I don't know, detour through memory town, you know, kind of like what you're saying. But uh, no, I, th- I thought the battle was pretty good. Um, the, it, the only part I thought was weird about the battle that really kind of downed me about the battle is when Bard k- killed... Uh, killed the dragon and mostly because i thought it was silliness right where he's like having his son be the the arrow holder and it's like here son let me whip this metal thing right back and fling it at your face you know like i've shot arrows and it just for me that was kind of weird but i liked it overall it was uh it was great um you know it's cool to see the master of the town finally get his justice you know (laughs) that's That was happy days for me. So uh, overall, I liked it, just jumping right into it. And it was interesting to kind of see Thorin's, uh, you know, kind of – like he brushed it aside like he didn't care. It's like, oh, it's them that are dealing with it now, you know. Um, Who cares? And all the other dwarves were were worried about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I kind of – I'm along with you guys. Uh, I didn't even realize – that there wasn't that you know little history part of it in the first of the film until afterwards i was thinking about it and i was like did it even have one so i didn't miss it is what i'm saying and it was great to just start off right off the bat smog is coming you know what's going to happen chaos is going to break out you know there's going to be lots of fire and death and, you know how's it going to go down so i thought it was a great way to just jump right into where we left off with the last film Um, yeah, and with uh, with Bard shooting smog with a black arrow, uh, that was kind of the same way. You know, I've shot a bow and arrow before, and I know that the, the string from the bow follows through a little bit, right? So when he's flinging that arrow off his son's shoulder, the string is going to hit him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what that, I'm saying. <laughs> I didn't think that was very smart. But, and I even looked for it this time. I was like, okay, do we see it actually hit him or what happened? They just you know, nothing happened to him really. So I, I thought they could have done that a little bit different, but cause that didn't happen in the book, right? It was, he just shot a normal.
1: Bow yeah. So or something, it, right? it was, it was still a black arrow. Yeah. Uh, he shot in the book, you know, and it was, I don't know, one that didn't pass down through generations, you know, his father had had it before him and he's always recovered it. And then he just shot it out of a regular bow and arrow.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, I like how they did it with the, you know, that mechanic that the dwarves had made to kill dragons. I, I thought that was neat. Yeah. I just thought it was kind of weird that he shot this arrow made for like this mechanical thing out of a normal bow and arrow string attached to two sides of a, I don't know, like a watchtower yeah. uh, was with his son's face aiming it. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of strange, but I mean, it was still good. I just, you know, I think they were trying to be a little too clever there. Yeah. And
0: that's the thing is, you know, you don't want to watch a movie and start thinking about, well, you know, is the the string from the bow going to hit him in the face? You know, because that takes you out of the what's going on, the action, right? So I think, like you said, they were just being a little bit too clever. And, you know, people who have used bows, they're like, oh, that's not really smart. <laughs> so, but yeah small nitpick no big deal really it was cool scene overall so smog i think you had mentioned last episode mark that you wanted to see smog more powerful more uh, vicious type thing and i think we see that in this first part you know he just unleashes fire and doom upon lake town and just destroys it over you know he's makes several passes over the town and i think we see we saw a little bit of it in the first film in the flashback there when he attacks Dale, but they didn't really reveal the dragon until the second movie. So we kind of saw what was going on, but not really. But here, in in this film with Lake Town, we see everything. You know, we just see how how vicious Smog is. Uh, I don't know. Did it meet your expectations of what Smog would would be like in in this film anyway? In this scene, Mark.
1: Uh, yeah Who's yeah, still you wanting know, more he's pretty ruthless you know um as far as it goes you know just want on destruction uh you know really all about getting um even you know gonna destroy this this town they disturbed him you know everyone's dead so i I like that part you know um so yeah you know overall i i I enjoyed the the entire sequence right there it was great
0: okay cool uh so the survivors you know lake town's destroyed some people survive some people don't like we see the the master like you said and and his servants get totally wiped out as smog actually falls on them and the survivors make their way the survivors make their way to the shore and kind of gather on the shore and we see Alfred, the the master of Lake Town's servant guy, um, he survives. <laughs> and, I don't know his inclusion right here. In the previous movie, I was really annoyed by him. He was, you know, a pretty big jerk and just rude and had it out for Bard and his family. But here, I mean, he was. I thought this character was hilarious, and I thought, you know, the way they handled it was was spot on. I think it was a great addition for. He you know, always had this great tragedy. And here comes this guy, and it kind of lightens the mood a little bit. Um, so, for you, Kimball, what did you think of Alfred and his character in this in this part when they're reaching the shore?
2: Yeah, like you said, it does kind of lighten the mood from the tragedy. He like he's crawling on on the on the beach, and then he like pushes the woman's head yeah. right into the water, and he doesn't even care. And it's just you can't help but chuckle at that because he's just a pitiful. character and then when he gets on the beach he's like hey someone give me a blanket he just thinks about himself and um i think he was expecting that he would be the new king and when he sees bard he's a little disappointed because he knows that bard isn't going to accept alfred as the new ruler um so that was that was fun seeing that um disappointment on his face and he was kind of let down from Bard still being alive. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and he tried his best to to get into Bard's good graces, you know, like by saying, Oh, Bard's the new king, and he raises his hand and Bard's like, get away from me, dude. You yeah. know. And then Alfred's like, <laughs> I was just thinking of, of the children. The horrors and the children. You know, he just made all these excuses and it was it was quite hilarious. Uh so they're there, and then we see Tariel and Legolas come, join them, and they decide uh, that they need to go check out, you know, the, the orcs from the north and kind of see what's going on that way. So they take off to go up that way uh, to, is it the Grundibag? Grundibad. Grundibag orcs, yeah. So they kind of go up there, and then there's some dwarves, uh, Fili and Kili, they they're there from you know, with the group from Lake Town and they leave as well and make their way to the Lonely Mountain to meet up with their companions. But um when they meet when they reach the rest of the dwarves we see more of Thorin and kinda you know, he's kind of still got this greed in his in his eyes and he doesn't wanna share his you know, he, he promised the people of Laketown that he would share a portion of the gold with them for helping him out. He's kind of going back on his word and not wanting to share at all. And so it kind of dovetails into what we saw at the end of the last movie. He's continuing to be a little more greedy and he's starting to, you know, think back, you know, think of just himself. And... In, we see in the in this part of the film where he's fixated on the gold and the treasure and trying to find the arken stone that he, he begins talking and and acting like like smog did when he was alive and in charge of it, the lonely mountain and its treasure L- at least that's the impression I got that he you know had that deep voice he just thought about the gold and didn't want anybody to have it and uh, he starts turning on his his companions and his dwarven (laughs) companions he doesn't he thinks that they one of them stole the arkenstone because he can't find it and so he starts to become very selfish and after seeing a transformation in thorn in in the second film he starts to come out and you know trust bilbo and he wants to do good but then he regresses i think even even more than what he was before in the first movie um so with you guys, what was your thoughts on Thorin and you know how he became so greedy and, you know, was there a resemblance to smog in, in your, in your eyes? Mark, what do you think?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, I think it was more, um, to do with, I think they mentioned it in the, in the movie, uh, the dragon sickness. Yeah. I think that's what Gandalf called it. Right. Uh, um, because it had nothing to do with the ring. Now Thor, uh, he was greedy because of the ring, uh, one of the rings of power okay. that he, he held, and and that you know kind of drove drove him to be more greedy than normal uh, dwarves and you know really hoard up his gold, et cetera, which brought the dragon. And then the dragon sickness, I think, is probably similar, but a little bit more intense maybe. I, I'm not really sure what it is, right? It's just something that's part of the movie. But it definitely wasn't the ring because he didn't have the ring. So it's right. not like the ring was corrupting him. But he was just greedy for the gold. You know, he didn't uh, he didn't care about anything else. And I guess that's what the dragon sickness was. It was just this, like, over-intoxicating, getting lost in this wealth and, and gold. And so, you know, you see that, Definitely manifest, you know, and where he's starting to blame his fellow dwarves, these guys that have gone on this great adventure to help him bring back Lonely Mountain, and he's starting to suspect them. You know, he suspects everybody. He, you know, he turns on his word from that he made, and Bilbo said to him, look, that, you know, the dwarf I met in, in Hobbiton would never have turned, you know, never have gone back on his word ever, and, you know, you're changed and he didn't see it, you know, and it took him uh, a lot to finally see it. And he kind of has like a come to Jesus type moment, you know, when he's in that big gold yeah. and finally kind of rids himself. I And I don't really understand what he did. He'd be just like a made an internal decision, like there's th- things that are more important than this gold. And
0: uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. I wanted to get to that later, but now that's it's, you know, we're talking about it now is what did you guys think of that moment? Because he, he spends the majority of the movie, you know, it's my gold. I'm not sharing it. You know, it's all for me. You guys are traitors. And then all of a sudden he starts to have, the like you said, a come-to-Jesus moment where he starts thinking outside of that whole mindset. And it didn't, for me, it didn't fit well. It felt like it was, I felt like he needed to go through it. But I, I thought he was so far gone and there really wasn't a moment that, that triggered the moment of self-reflection. So I thought it was a little bit too forced. So for you, Kimball, what did you think uh, of this moment and how did it play out for you?
2: So you're talking about when he's on that golden floor and he kind of sinks into it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that scene, it reminds, when I think of it, I think of Superman three, whenever he's battling himself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, except this one isn't a physical battle; it's more of a emotional, mental battle. And Thorn he sees himself be enveloped by all this gold, and it's um, overcoming his life. Yeah. He's kind of looking at himself. I liked how they portrayed it because it's like it it just it drug him down and it just eventually consumed him, so yeah. that the gold just covered him, and then he kind of as this vision like oh that's you know he's alone there's no one by him except for his gold and what does his gold do for him it just buries him and it doesn't serve him in any way but yeah there was no really like trigger what snaps him out of it i guess at least it wasn't that defined but i think he just kind of saw himself be enveloped and decided he didn't want it so he Tosses his crown off and then runs out and joins his other dwarfs. It was a little strange, but I I liked it because it was. I think I don't know what other way they could envision this him snapping out of it. I can't think of a better way.
1: Yeah, like the books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, tell us what happens in the books, Mark. Uh, in the books, he never really has like that that moment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he. He gets the gold and he's not going to share it, you know, and that happens. And Bill, you know, Bibble takes the Arkenstone. and that happens. But um, they go to war. And it's like, oh, we're going to get destroyed. So I don't care about my gold. Like, I don't want to die. So, hey, you know, Elf King, my greatest and oldest ally. Help me defeat this foe. And he's like, oh, okay, I don't want to die either. Let's do it, you know. And then Bard comes along and he's like, oh, you know, I'll join my forces with you, you know. And, and, you know, that's kind of how it went down, you know, before they even went to battle. So there was never that moment. Um, I think since they went the direction they went, you know, where, like, to show him so far gone, they had to have a moment where he kind of came out of it. Uh, And... And kind of like you, Justin, it felt forced. It felt like, man, we've got to do something. So this is it. This is what we can come up with.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, it kind of fell flat a little bit with me like you, but it was something that did have to happen. And I think that's kind of making the best out of a, of a bad storyline situation, I guess, you know, or an incomplete storyline. I, I, I'm not exactly sure how to say that, but, you know, they made the best with what they, you know, what they had. But it was just, it seemed too quick, you know, it seemed like, like all of a sudden he's just like, oh yeah, I, I I should be good because I was just walking in this big gold lake and I was thinking about it. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. I thought the moment itself, the symbolism there was, was perfect. I thought it was really good, illustrated his, his thought process and, you know, what happened there. But I think they just needed some motivator or, you know, why did he decide to make that decision? Perhaps, um, I know his his fellow dwarves kind of confronted him, but he's, you know, he just pushed him away. Uh, so maybe something else. I know in other movies, like, if people are possessed with something, they get hit on the head or they get burned with fire and it kind of snaps them back, you know, so... You know, there's something like that something to facilitate that that mindset that change of mindset I guess but um, other than that I thought it was it was good so uh, it was good that he did snap out of it because he was able to join join the fight uh, they kind of made it appear that you know they were losing until he him and his uh, 12 dwarves or I guess 11 dwarves joined the battle but we'll get to that in a minute um so Bilbo his his struggle in this movie was you know he found the arkenstone he didn't necessarily lie about that he had it or not but he didn't really tell thorin that he had it so he has to s- decide you know this is my friend he wants it it's his but if i give it to him it's not going to have a good outcome uh, he thinks it's going to make it worse so that's his struggle and he i think he made a good choice with this he he felt that Thor needed something to wake him up out of this uh, dragon sickness. And so he made a decision to leave the dwarves and go to the elves and men and give it to them. Then maybe they can barter with it to get what they want. So for you guys, what did, what did you think of Bilbo's decision? Was it the right decision? Um I don't it didn't work, but I still felt it was the right decision. What did, you, what did you guys think about that, Mark?
1: I think if he hadn't done that, it would have been worse. Right? Um He would have taken the Ark and Stone, you know, declared himself, you know, soul king under the mountain, king of all the dwarves, and um, I I think you really would have seen him sit in his mountain while everyone else got destroyed yeah. uh, you know that mo- that moment kind of forced Thorne thorn's hand to go to war brought him outside of the mountain for the Arkenstone uh, you know so I think it was a key p- plot point that you know he you know like while he was out there fighting and he fought you know fought the um, the wargs and the goblins or orcs that his motivation wasn't there because he wanted the freedom of men. His motivation was there until, you know, to uh, to win the Arkenstone back, and you know it just happened to be he was exposed when the goblins and wargs attacked. Yeah. And it wasn't till the very end, you know, when he's on his deathbed that he really changes. We really changes that moment when you know he says to Bilbo like, you know, if more, you know, if more of us what does he say, like, um, more of us thought about drinking and joy or whatever he says, you know, this would be a merrier place, you know, and that's kind of where he really comes to and is like, oh, okay, there's, there's greater things like, you know, it wasn't me that didn't understand war, it was, or it wasn't you that didn't understand war, it was me, you know, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and so uh, I, I think that was a pretty key point, I liked how they did it, and I'm sure, you know, like, in the movie, it shows Bilbo just kind of like racking his mind, like what can, what do I do? You know, here's Thorin I've traveled with my whole life, but I'm seeing him change. What, like, what do I do? And, and you know, he finally has to make the decision to sneak out. And I thought, it, I thought they played that in the movie really great.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the quote is, "If more people valued home above gold, this world would be a merry place." So wisdom, yes. wisdom from Thorin on his deathbed. Uh, any thoughts on that, Kimball, with uh, Bilbo's decision there?
2: He made the right decision. It was that tough call, and I like that he went to he he went to Balin first and said, you know, what if Thorne had the Ark and Stone? What do you think it would be like in says, Well, it's you know, it's his right. He deserves his king under the mountain, but ultimately that would prove his downfall. And I think it would have. He probably would have just stayed in his mountain. Because he would have just been fixated on it, holding it in his hand, sitting on his throne, and not even left um, to help fight in the war. And it's ironic that this whole movie, the whole series, he's trying to find the Arkenstone, but he never gets it until he's dead, and then he's holding it in his hand. But it's like when he's alive, he never gets to have that which is which is kind of sad, but it's also very fitting whenever you're chasing treasures that aren't quite of the most worth or value like they can blind you they can deceive you um, and not be not have as much value as the real things like home or friends which he learns at least before he dies
0: yeah yeah that's a good point Uh, he searched for the ark and stone but he never found it in life but he was buried with it so yeah very good irony there so, yeah, he he. Bilbo goes back and forth with, you know, he heads over to Men and Elves and talks with Gandalf and the Elven King and Bard, and then he ends up going back to Erebor, and he admits to, to Thorne that he, you know, he gave him the Ark And luckily, you know, Thorne didn't kill him. <laughs> he wanted to, though. But um, <laughs> I believe this is when we see... The entrance of the the other dwarves from. Uh, is it the Blue Hills or the Iron Hills?
1: Yeah, I think it's the Iron Hills.
0: Iron Hills. Yeah, I think that's the moment when they show up. We see. Uh, Durin's. Or no, not Durin's. Um, Thorin's cousin, Dane, shows up with his dwarves and battle pigs. So. It kind of sh- from here it, it shifts to the actual battle of the five armies so and i was thinking about you know what are what were the five armies we got the dwarves the elves men and the orcs so that's four so i was trying to think you know is the is the fifth army the eagles or there, yeah, there were two groups of orcs, or is it one of them? You know, do they count as two, or what do you think?
1: It's definitely the Eagles. Okay. Um, yeah, the Eagles are the f- the fifth army, and that's what I mean. He, even okay. in the the book, he says it, and then the little movie, he says it, and then you know, little nineteen seventy seven thing. He's like, the Eagles, the Eagles are coming, and then uh, you know, Bebo's counting is like. Five armies: one, two, three, four, five. And the Eagles make five, you know. So, uh, but yeah, the Eagles were were the fifth army, and they didn't really show a whole lot of them in this film, which was kind of a bummer because uh, they were a major part in the film. Like they did a lot of damage and and yada yada. But um, it was uh, it was pretty cool when they came in in the in the books. Yeah.
0: Well, they turned the tide in in the movie. I mean, they were. It was pretty much a standstill. Maybe even they were the good guys were losing. And then the eagles showed up and balanced the scales and tipped the scales. For mm-hmm. the dwarves and, and the elves and the men. Uh, let's see. So we got some really great scenes with, with this film uh, in the battle of the five armies. First off we got the, uh, the army of Dane showing up and he attacks the elves and men because they won't leave and uh they got these really cool so the the elves fire their their arrows on the dwarves but then they got this really cool counter-attack with these huge spears that spin and just kind of destroy the arrows and protect them so that was a pretty cool moment um the battle pigs showed up and they're they're attacking the elves and men and you're like wow this is pretty cool but then, <laughs> it gets even better.
3: <laughs> when, yeah. Uh,
0: the, the Earth Eaters, you know, finish the the holes that they're digging to get through the mountains to get there quicker. And the orcs come streaming out of those holes and start attacking. And at that moment, the dwarves and elves just kind of react and like, oh, okay, we're on the same team now. We're going to fight these guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then just... No. That part was pretty awesome, that whole sequence, right? Yeah. Like, and you really get to see that... I don't know. I guess you always assume the elves are kind of unmatched, right, as far as warriors, because you just get to see them. And then the only time you ever see the dwarves in battle, anywhere in the books, and they portrayed it amazingly. Like, the dwarves are cunning. They're smart. They have these great machines that... You know they use basically use technology to to best them. Yeah. You know, it's like, look, we don't care about your stupid arrows. You know, check <laughs> this out. You know, and then they come down on these rams, you know, or those sheep or something like that. That was just oh, that,
0: that was, was just yeah, awesome. They were, they were sheep. That's right.
1: Yeah, and that was just awesome to see. Yeah. You know, like here's these two mystical creatures, elves and dwarves, going at it, and they're both so formidable. Yeah. You know, it makes you wonder how. Man can stand up to them to like that. Oh, yeah. Because uh, they were so just insanely powerful, right? You could just I, – I couldn't see a human army standing up to either one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I think the the dwarves are riding those rams, and then it was Dane that was riding the, the warthog or the – Yeah, the, the pig. big pig. Yeah, so that was pretty cool yeah so the orcs show up we got two two armies the first one shows up with azog and they kind of come in the back way and take over this tower and they're kind of issuing commands from the tower and running the battle that way and um, they just got some really nasty orcs right we got the the big just the big slow ones with the the big wooden baseball bat type thing and then you got the ones with no legs and they have these big old rocks on their their arms and the guys driving them on sitting on his head, you know, kind of steering them around and that guy's just going to town with those big old rocks just killing elves and orcs or no elves and dwarves and, and men left and right. So you just got this, you know, death machine. This brutal army just coming in mowing through everybody. It's pretty intense. Um, So, then, uh, what did you think of this initial part of the Battle of the Five Five Armies, Kimball, and how they portrayed it?
2: I liked um, how they were fighting each other and then they immediately turned towards the orcs because they knew that was the real enemy. Um, But yeah, whenever they brought in those trolls, I couldn't help but think, how are they going to defeat this army now? All these huge trolls, like, they can wipe out so many of the humans or the elves or the dwarves. Um, and they're, the orcs are just, like, they're just swarming all the hills. And it just it felt very, like, impending doom. Yeah. Um, what, once the battle kind of showed the real strength of the enemy I couldn't really see any hope in it until, of course, at the end when like the Eagles in Bayorn comes, of course. But until then, it seemed very one-sided. The orcs are going to just dominate.
0: Yeah, um, I I liked the the trolls that they brought in. They had like the the big slingshot things on their back, the trebuchets that they would fling rocks, and they had the one with the the it was like the battering ram on his head and he ran at the wall and knocked himself out.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's like, all right, you run to this wall and hit as hard as can with your head. Yeah. All right, boss. All right, here I go. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that was pretty neat. I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. So a lot of creative uh, ways to, to bring death in this battle. You know, and it's it's so out of the ordinary. I mean, you don't see this type of thing. Usually you just see people with swords and axes and, you know, just hacking at each other. But this was just all kinds of creativity. And so it made it a lot more interesting. Uh, so then the, the orcs from the north, uh, Legolas and Tariel had gone up there to spy on, on them and kind of see what they're up to. And they are they're able to witness them march out from Gundabag. And they also see these they're like huge bats, is the impression I got that's you know, accompany them. And there's wargs as well in the mix and those guys from the north they end up meeting with the other orcs. And they they come in late but come in from the north so they're not expect the dwarves aren't expecting it. And at that moment uh, that they arrived, Thorin and a few of, of his dwarves along with Bilbo, they've, they've gone in to try and uh, attack the tower that Azog is using to direct the battle. But at that moment, it ends up being a trap. And, you know, this is where the battle kind of slims down and becomes a little more personal for for everyone. Um, so we got Thorin, Philly, Killy. Bilbo, and at least one more dwarf, maybe two more. Dwalin. Dwalin. And uh, so it ends up being a trap, and the orcs from the north come in, and they're you know, battling Thorn and Bilbo and Dwalin. But Philly and Killy had gone on to the other side, to the tower, to scout it out, and Azog's there waiting. And it's, they, they end up capturing Philly and Killy. And at that time, Legolas and Tariel also come down, come back from the north and join the fight. And Tariel goes, on, goes in to you know, help out Kili and Philly. But we see Azog, he's captured uh, Philly and sacrifices him, kills him in front of, of Thorin. And tells him, you know, just like this guy, your cousin, or I guess not c- your nephew, just like this guy, you know, your bloodline is going to end today. He kills him and throws him off the cliff. So then Thorn, he was gonna go back and I, he was gonna leave basically, right? But then once he saw that, Thorn's like, okay, it's on, and he goes in to attack Azog. And then, um, what's his name? The other scary-looking orc, Bog. Bog. Yeah, he shows up as well. He starts attacking Philly. No, Killy. And he. Him and Tario end up fighting Bolg and Killy gets killed at this point in front of Tario. And, you know, so there's that whole battle scene. So it becomes a little more personable for our characters. Um, characters we've grown to love and enjoy watching over the past three movies, you know, they they start to die. And it has an impact. Um, I remember for me when watching this scene, I got a little choked up, I must say. You know, it was it was emotional. And felt for for thorn and tariel and and Killy you know Killy saw his brother killed first and you know it's pretty emotional moment um so for kim for kimble um what were kind of your thoughts as this whole f- scene played out and we got to see some some consequences for our characters
2: it was a very emotional uh part i think because um, i like that I, I like and then I don't like that these characters die. I don't like it because yeah, it's sad. You don't want to see them die, but then it adds a little more uh, reality to it because um, someone has to die. Like these characters aren't immortal. Um, I always think of like the the Fellowship. Everyone comes out of that whole thing unscathed except for Boromir, and I'm thinking, well, reality. Someone should. More people should have died out of those nine. And so with these 13 dwarves, yeah, it's more realistic that a few of them do die, but yeah, I don't like that. The thing that bothered me most, though, of this part is I think they shortchanged the dwarves in a way that they should have had the honor of killing Balg and not given it to the elves because the elves are just, you know, these... Uh, grand characters that can just kill anything, I think that yeah. I would have appreciated it better if Peter Jackson would have said, hey, you know, yeah, we know the elves are awesome. How about we give this kill to the dwarves? Like, I think it would have been better to see, like, the maybe all four of them up there team up on Bog and just do some great um, teamwork like we've seen in the previous films like when they're fighting the goblins in the cave things yeah. like that. If they would have teamed up and killed Bog, that would have been much better in in my opinion and because i think they they deserved it not i mean they have more um i guess more of a bad blood with him than legolas legolas just appeared out of nowhere and then he just kills him like you know he just shows up at the end and gets the the winning shot and that just bothered me yeah
0: yeah i can see that uh what about for you mark
1: Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it was a Legolas cameo fight more than anything. Like it, it with the bulk death, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: Um, I think that it was like, well, we've got Legolas in here, so we've got to have him have an epic fight because he's Legolas. Um, so i don't know it was a cool fight i i thought it was neat how they did it you know and it wasn't like legolas was just like overpowering this guy you know like just because in the other movies you just see him kill orcs like nothing you know him and Gimli have you know games to see who can kill the most um but you know it's like oh crap you know this guy can throw down so i liked it um I I thought the whole the whole thing was pretty pretty neat how how it all happened. I did think it was weird. It was like, oh, here comes the you know like when the second army starts to arrive and there's those uh, like advanced scouts that show up. Yeah. And Thorn and Ballin are like, oh, there's only like a hundred of them. We got it. <laughs> It's like like oh, I always wonder, like, how did the goblins ever win a war when they had, like, 10 million of them, you know? I mean, like, what the heck, you know? and uh, So I just thought that part was kind of funny because it was just like, you know, oh, ain't no thing. And then they just tear through them like not, nobody's business, you know? Yeah. So, know, no, overall, it was pretty cool. Um, I wish we'd have got to see more of Bjorn in this, in the fight. Yeah. I mean, they, in the extended version, they did show, like, a couple cool things. But in the book, he, I mean, he's the one that kills um, Bog, So, I think I would have liked to see that.
0: Okay. So, I think the consensus is it shouldn't have been Legolas. Legolas but maybe no. Maybe Bjorn or the dwarves themselves.
1: Yeah, but like I said, I think it, they had to, like, it was, you had Legolas in it, so I'd, they didn't really have a choice. They just you know kind of had to add a minute.
0: yeah all right uh so definitely an emotional moment um some of our characters don't make it and then we got the throwdown the final showdown between azog and uh thorin there on the the frozen river i thought it was pretty creative and uh well executed um the only part that kind of bothered me, and this is kind of a, a trope in a lot of movies, where you think, you know, the good guy, the heroes finally won, killed the the villain, but then there's one last, you know, chance where the villain he thought was dead and now he's back and he gets in a stroke or two but then eventually dies. And we kind of see that here where Azog was under the ice and somehow he's able to explode up through the ice. And land on his feet and duel Thorin and pretty much deal a a mortal blow to to Thorin. But at the same time, Thorin is able to kill Azog. So he he sacrifices himself to be able to get rid of Azog and get rid of him from the story. Um, Up to that point, I liked it. But I just thought it was a little too contrived. A little too... By the book, where up to that point, you know, it had all these great creative moments, a lot of cool things that you don't really see in movies. But then it ends like a lot of movies do. So, um, for you, Mark, you I think you had said or you mentioned that Azog was already dead in the books.
1: Yeah, so in the books, Azog was killed. You know, when they talk about that that big battle, when uh, uh, I guess it's in the first Hobbit, when they kind of reminisce about um, when they had that big battle at Moria and Thorne became the Oakenshield. Uh, During that battle, uh, he is killed by by Dane, actually, Dane Iron, you know, and we see Dane in the the third one, his cousin. So he actually killed um, Azog during that battle. Okay. So he doesn't actually exist, you know, he, he's gone by this time, and it was actually Bolg that was running things, not not Azog. But, yeah, just like you, I thought that was a little weird, you know. As soon as it was happening, when he was watching Azog float underneath him, like, oh, he's going to open his eyes, he's yeah. going to be alive, he's going <laughs> to do something. I mean, it was like, oh, great, you know, like, you just ruined a cool sequence. Because let's get real, I mean, why wouldn't Thorin just take his sword and stab through the ice and kill, you know, just make sure, like, yeah oh, here's like my greatest enemy in all the world, and he's gonna just die because he froze in the water. How about I just make sure and, and you know what I mean <laughs> so yeah. but uh I mean, you know he had to bring it on because at first when he went into the water, I was like that's strange how's how's Thorn gonna die? yeah, and then he's floating I'm like, oh, there it is there here it comes <laughs> yeah he's done so but good sequence, like you kind of. Kind of cheap. I felt like it was cheaply done. It was too cliche. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, Thorne did have to die. Did it explain how he died in the in the book, or was he just? I remember he just died a, a hero's death in the battle somehow. Right. Yeah. He,
1: it doesn't say a lot because this part of the book kind of follows Bilbo, yeah. and Bilbo was knocked out by a rock, right? Right. Like for the entire battle, and. So you don't really get too much, but what it does say is that um, Feely and Keeley died protecting him because he was injured. They were, you know, they were you know, trying to protect him, and then he just succumbed to his injuries. I think he just had too many injuries yeah. and, and died.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, but we do get to see some character development with Thorin. I mean, he kind of regressed... With the the dragon sickness and being greedy, but in the end, he's when he snaps out of it, he kind of makes up for it. He he's able to end up, you know, sacrificing himself for the good of of everyone. You know, elves, dwarves, men, eagles, Gandalf, you know, everyone, right? So he he's able to learn his lesson or you know atone for his sins, I guess you could say, and. He, when he gets stabbed he doesn't die immediately and he kind of stands up and looks over the battle and he sees you know that they're winning and that the tide has been turned and then he kind of he falls to the ground at that point um, so for you Kimball with Thorin's sacrifice did that do you feel like it it did its job in the in the story that it was meaningful and that you know what was your opinion of, of that
2: I would rather have seen Thorn live and stray from that path, but just because I hate when the main character dies and it's someone you've grown to love. Yeah. But I did like kind of how they they did it, where you can see the realization where Thorn understands, okay, if I'm going to kill this guy and save everyone else, I'm going to have to give my life. Yeah. So that's when he re- he relaxes on his sword and he gets impaled. But then... Um, he just quickly gets Orchrist, his sword, and he just stabs Azog, and then Azog flips on his back. And I like how Thorn just stares him down until the life goes out of Azog's eyes. And I thought that was cool because it's like, you know, Thorn's like, "Ha ha, I got you. You're not, you didn't kill me." So like, yes, yes, Azog did kill Thorn, but Azog doesn't know that for sure. He died first. So he doesn't get that satisfaction from killing Thorn, whereas Thorn was able to watch him do that.
0: Yeah. And I think you mentioned that you see it played out on his face, that he realizes what has to be done. And I thought that moment was portrayed really well, because you do see it reflected in his eyes, you know, that understanding. He's like, well, you know, this is it. This is what has to happen. And he, he accepts that decision. Um, so we have his sacrifice we also have you know some other characters sacrificed uh, for the greater good uh, throughout the film this one and a little bit in the previous one we see you know tariel and legolas they kind of have an interest in each other but due to legolas's high birth it can happen so tariel you know he she she starts to like keely and in this movie we see where legolas accepts that tariel likes keely he I don't know if he supports it, but he doesn't try to prevent it. Because he knows, he respects her feelings. So he gives a little bit of himself and his feelings to sacrifice for Tariel. And then we see in the end that Tariel, you know, she intervenes with Keely and, and Bolg in their battle to try and distract, you know, Bolg from, from hurting Keely, but it doesn't work. And he ends up getting killed. And then he turns on Tario, and tries to kill her. And then Legolas intervenes and tries to save Tario, which he does. So there's this, you know, triangle, love triangle, I guess you could say. But they're all willing to sacrifice for each other because they care about the other person that much. They're willing to, you know, essentially let themselves die for the other person, even though they know they, let the other person likes another person. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic there that they had. With those three characters, uh, even though it's not in the book, right, Mark?
1: Uh, yeah, that's made up. <laughs> None of those people existed in the book. That's that's insane. Except except one. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, it was kind of a weird little love triangle there, you know. Um. But hey, I guess I guess it works in the movies.
0: Yeah, and when Kelly is stabbed by that huge old spear that bulg has i it looked like um Keely was mouthing something to tariel as he was dying but it wasn't obvious i don't know if you guys caught that or knew i didn't know. i don't even know if he was it just kind of looked like he was did you mm. notice that kimball
2: i didn't but i can picture it in my mind that i think yeah, he's probably moving his mouth. He's probably saying, like, I'm better than Legolas or something. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> Yeah. so, um, yeah, I'll have to go back and watch it. That's just something I thought of while I was watching it. But I didn't want to stop. I wasn't in a position to stop it and slow it down and all that. So.
1: Probably saying, I love you, endorphin.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he did give Tariel his, his rock, right? His precious Rock, and I thought that was a good, a good. Uh, oh, presence. that his mom gave him, right?
1: Yeah, right when he was in jail or something like that. And he's like, What did he say? He's like, It's cursed or something, yeah. just <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember that he gave it to her when he left, they left uh, the remnants of Lake Town, right? Yeah, okay, yep. Uh,
0: so then we, we also have a moment between. Tariel and Thranduil were the Elven king. He shows up as Tariel is grieving over over Kili, and she's like, "Why does it hurt so much?" And he he acquiesces and says, "Because it was real." Even though earlier he had, he had told her as a barb, you know, kind of a, a dig at her, you know, it's not real, the feelings you feel for this dwarf aren't real. But in the end, he recognizes that. You know, for her, it was real, and I thought that was pretty, pretty cool moment between them. You know, they grew to respect each other there in that moment, and the animosity kind of wasn't a big deal as much as they were able to recognize. You know, the pain that each other has has had towards someone they
2: care about. Mhm.
3: Um.
2: Yeah. So I I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So. Thranduil's been pretty cold throughout, up until this point. He's kind of been a jerk um, to everyone around him. But in the special features, they really dive into his character and go behind the scenes. And it's cool, because you can paint him in a different light. So, for example, his wife uh, died, Legolas' mom. We learn that in the extended scenes when Legolas is talking about it with with Tariel. So you kind of learn a little bit that brand well you know he lost his wife so he's going to be a little bitter and cold when other people are in love like what happens every day in life
3: um
2: so that happens you can kind of understand his point of view a little but you could see him start to his heart starts to not be as bitter and be it becomes softer and so he understands that you know i may have lost my love but i don't need to diminish what Tariel and Keely have. And um, also, when Thranduil wants those white gems from Thorin, from what I understood from the special features, they said that those were a gift for his wife, and that was the reason why he wanted them, but he didn't end up getting them, so he was really furious about that. So there was another... um, tribute towards his wife and then also in the second movie when they're going into Mirkwood Forest you can see a statue that Gandalf looks at that statue is his wife Mm -hmm. so there's just these little depictions throughout these films of Thranduil's love for his wife that he doesn't have anymore but it's it's neat to see at the end uh, he's becoming humble and he understands that um, you know that he can still be kinder to other people if they are experiencing love. He doesn't have to be a jerk just because of what happened to him. I thought that was kind of a very subtle character development that you don't quite get in the movies. You really got to do some research and go behind the scenes to see that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that. I think the thing with the jewels, that makes a lot more sense if you put it into that context, why he was so adamant about getting them back, you know, because without that information, you're just like, yeah, oh, it's just another cool necklace, big deal. But if it meant something to his wife or was going to mean something to his wife and it didn't happen, I mean, I think a lot of people would feel the same way. They want to recover that for the memories that they hold, they represent. So, yeah, it's a good, good little nugget of information there.
1: So what was your guys' favorite part of the movie? Like, when you look at this movie as a whole, we've kind of talked about it. We had the battle. We saw, you know, the rescue of Gandalf. We saw, you know, just death of Thorin. We saw some weird elven dwarf love death, you know. What what was, like, your favorite favorite part? Justin.
0: For me, and we haven't even touched on it yet. I was kind of saving it towards the end, but the whole part, the whole scenes in Dolgordur, that we—it's at the beginning, where, you know, at the end of the last film, Gandalf had been captured and put in a cage, and we pick up there—he's in the cage, and a, an orc is going to, you know, cut off his finger because that has the one of the ring, Elven rings of power, and so at that moment, you know Galadriel shows up, and I just want to say her entry, her entrance into that scene is is amazing. And it's very you know calm, but powerful. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was that was awesome. And then she shows up, and then Elrond shows up, Saruman shows up, and even Radagast comes in there for a little bit. So you got the what five six most powerful people alive in middle earth there and that scene is just gold and they're dueling the spirits of the nine kings the witch king of angmar and his his people that eventually turn into the nazgul in the next series and they're just going toe to toe they can't really defeat him because they're spirits uh, but they kind of do and just when you think that they do sauron shows up and it's like oh my gosh <laughs> you know this is like the the council of power right here, you know, it doesn't get any more powerful, or more important than, th- than this scene right here. And Lady Galadriel, she uses the vial of light. I forget what it's called, um, but she uses that and kind of, you kind of see it a little bit in um, the two towers. I know. Is it the fellowship of the ring where she kind of <laughs> turns in that, that green glow. She's powerful and I always wondered what that scene was about. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But then here we get some more context. You know, it's a way she uses to uh, transfigure, I guess, into a being of power. And she's able to use that power along with a vial of, of light that she gives eventually gives to Frodo to banish Sauron. And I thought it was interesting that she she calls him nameless and formless, and then she banishes him. So for me, that whole scene was. Like the core, the crux of the whole film, all of the trilogy, really. Because then that sets up, basically, Sauron and his rise to power later. Uh, Sauron tells the others, you know, Galadriel's spent, so Sauron tells the others, hey, you know, take care of Galadriel, I'm going to go deal with Sauron. And then we can imply that from there he starts scheming with Sauron to, you know, help him overthrow Middle-earth.
1: Mm-hmm yeah no that part was pretty pretty legit right i mean you really get to see like you said some of the most powerful people i was kind of bummed i want to see a little bit more of radagast there yeah you know he just kind of showed up at the end there because i think he's overlooked uh as a powerhouse yeah. but he is right i mean he's one of the the wizards uh the Atari. um but uh um, I thought it was eye opening too to really see Saruman in action.
3: Yeah,
1: you know, cause, uh, you know you get to start seeing him, you know, throwing down. Like, yeah, he's this old man, but he's, you know, he's a spirit of endless of eternity. It doesn't matter how old he is. He he's gonna move. He's got skills that kills, and uh, you know, he, they stood toe to toe with the um, the nine. Yep. and gave him all they could handle. We got to see Elrond, uh, you know, whip out his sword and, and go to town. Uh, the one thing that always kind of bugged me about this, and even when I read the books, is like, man, these guys are so powerful. Like, where was Galadriel and El- Elrond during the, you know, during, uh, you know, when they attacked um, Sauron's, you know, main fortress at the end? Cause they they. Yeah, they weren't there. They just kind of stood back, like, "Oh, this is for humans to decide." It's like, what the heck? You guys are like this amazing, and you're just gonna h- hang out. And uh, you know, I was I was kind of bummed about that, but uh, no, it was cool to see Galadriel too. Um, just whip out this power out of nowhere. Just you know, amazing power and cast out Sauron. Like, um, not like it was nothing, but you know what I mean. It, it was it was she pretty was fly- obviously
0: more powerful. Fly- than him
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely so you know it was a it was a really good scene i liked it uh, the whole fighting sequence him you know her going in and telling that work i'm gonna take him and if you stop <laughs> me I'll, I'll kill you yeah. you know i'll destroy you and sure enough with a wave of her hand he was bones and everything else and yep. just that quick you know and it was, it was really good really good sequence i did like that
2: yeah
0: so what did you think of that part of so the Battle of Dol Guldur or Kimball? Any thoughts? Oh, it was
2: really cool. I liked it a lot, especially where we could see Elrond fight. This is our only time we get to see him fight. Well, besides for the beginning of the fellowship, but I thought it was neat seeing him come back. And uh, it really does set up a lot of different uh, plots in the next films. We see why Galadriel is in Lothlorien. We see why... Sauron is over there in the east, and kind of why Saruman has become, um, because he follows him and he ends up under his spell. It just it really uh, gives us the the back end, the backstory of everything that's in Lord of the Rings. It's yeah, I think you're right. It's kind of the core um, of these films, it, and they they did a really good job of having that fight scene, and it was, it was great.
0: Yeah. So for you, Kimball, what, unless it was the same scene, what was your favorite part of this film?
2: Um, that It might have been that scene, but I don't want to just copy you guys. The thing that stood out to me since I watched the extended edition, finally, they kind of um, did, you know how in the first film that you have the goblin tunnels, that extensive expansive fight and then in the second film you have the barrel riders going down the river and so i think they're continuing that trend of these kind of off the wall scenes and they did that with the ram cart (laughs) with all the dwarves (laughs) on it and they're going down that frozen river and man that got really gory and violent. Like they beheaded like five trolls <laughs> just because of the wheels and the spikes sticking out, and <laughs> there's just so much carnage and and death. So that really stands out to me because yeah, they couldn't show that um, in the theater and not have some complaints about that. It's very graphic, and I mean mm. that doesn't that was that's not really a substantial part of the movie, but it's very visually uh, descriptive, and it's it was intense. I liked that um they kind of made that that fun but it wasn't too silly or off the wall like like being in the goblin cave or doing the barrel rider down the river. I thought this was a little bit toned back a bit and that made it made it really uh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that was one of my favorite parts too. I loved it.
1: Yeah, I uh, you know, I had some thoughts about this cuz I was thinking about that earlier um it was really cool sequence because, like you said, it follows the, the general trend of the first two movies. And so it's neat to have, like, a, a scene like that. The one downfall for me was that I felt like this was kind of a serious part in the film. And I think that's what, like, uh, Return of the King got right. Because their final battle was a serious battle. You know, there was none of that, you know light jokingly there wasn't that part you know and i felt like that was good and why i really liked that sequence because it was really neat as a whole i looked at it and it kind of took it away from me a little bit because you know it's like look this is the battle of the five armies this is it you know um man if these guys could kill half the army with just jumping on one of them like why didn't you just have them jump on (laughs) on three of them in the first place battle over in 10 minutes let's go home But, uh, no, I understand why it was, but I, I really did like it, but as a whole kind of took it away from me a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I mean, they did uh, get rid of a lot of orcs and goblins with that thing in a matter of a few minutes. So why didn't they do that more often? Mm -hmm. Was there, what about for you, Mark? What was your, uh, number one part of the, the film if we haven't talked about it already?
1: So I'm going to get hit for this because <laughs> this part was not in the book.
0: <laughs> this part
1: was uh, uh made up part. But what I really liked, like my most favorite part that I always watch, I will YouTube this, this section, you know, because I, I like it, is when – the the bell rings and it comes hitting through the you know hitting through the stinking wall and they come running out and Gandalf's like they're rallying to their king you know and he comes running out like hero moment they're blowing the horns you know um that part was just amazing to me that was like the pick me up like like yeah you know like I could really cheer he comes running out and the dwarves rally all of a sudden and and then somehow their army grew like three times in size but (laughs) um but that was really my favorite moment because it was you know kind of like a setting in the movie is like this is as it should be the king is fighting and his army is gonna fight for him and they're gonna fight tooth and nail and it doesn't matter if they're cornered or whatever they're they're gonna win the day for their king and so that was I I really like that you know and and then Dane's yelling, to the king, to the king, you know. I, I just really like that. There's just something about that moment that is really, like, uh, uplifting or, you know, like, energetic. Just, you know, really, inspiring. really enjoyed. Intru- yeah, inspiring. That's the word. I failed English class. But, um, <laughs> it uh, yeah, it was really inspiring to me, you know, as, as a whole in the movie. And uh, I... Of all the parts, I enjoyed both of your, your things were really up there. I mean, both A-plus parts in the movie. But I, I have to give this one an A-plus plus. Of course. Because <laughs> it's mine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, think, no I, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I liked it too. And I think that's kind of the, the point in the, in the war and the battle that everything changed for the good guys, right? That's the rallying cry, the rallying point. And so definitely it was very inspiring. But you bring up a good point that I want to touch on for just a few minutes. Um, you know, the, the biggest knock on, on this f- trilogy of films, and even Mark has brought it up a, a couple of times, that, you know, there's this one, one book that's 350 pages or so, but we got three three hour long movies because they added a bunch of stuff into the overall story. Added characters, added scenes, and I think that's the biggest knock on on this trilogy. Um, so I just kind of wanted to give some final thoughts. I think we've talked about it here and there throughout these last three podcast episodes. But kind of, is it? I want you guys to name one good thing and one bad thing as to you know this this fact. Um, kind of, I wanted to get your overall opinion to kind of close out this trilogy of films and we'll start with with you kimball
2: okay um the one bad thing is there are no bad things about this it's just (laughs) totally amazing no um you all know that i love these films and i'm glad that there are three of them i think that i think it was necessary i'm i'm gonna be a fan of it till the day i die and defend these movies with my last dying breath because I think they're just awesome. Um, I think if the I think Richard Jackson what he did in his team turned a children's book Peter into yeah Peter Peter Jackson turned a children's book into an adult story something that is more relatable to all of us. He transformed it and made it. I think he they made it better. And if those haters that want to be the fan of the book well you got that 1978 cartoon film which I think does perfect justice to it and if you're a fan of that well you got your movie go watch that but I think (laughs) this one just does it so much better this is in my opinion one of the few movies that does a better job in telling the story than the book but in that yeah, I think it does go a little overboard. I would have liked to have seen less Legolas or less elves because I like the story of The Hobbit because it focuses more on dwarves, their culture, their people. And they're kind of second class people. That's how they're depicted compared to elves because um, elves are just magnificent and mighty. And yeah, that's nice, but I kind of get tired of it. I want to hear more of the underdog. I want to hear more of the, the dwarf. And that's what the, this hobbit does, and it tells us the story of the dwarves. And I really I, I really appreciate that because I think dwarves are just, I think they're great um, great people. Uh, Bilbo talks about them in this film. He says dwarves, yeah, they can be pig-headed, they can be stubborn, but then he lists off a bunch of qualities about them. He says, you know, this is why they're actually good people. Yeah. And it's true, and we we see that very clearly in these films. We see their flaws, but we also see their uh, strengths too. And I think that um, this just does such a great job of of showing that.
0: Yeah. So you would say the the bad thing for you is the too much legolas.
2: Yeah, too much legolas, too much elves. Okay. Like it's that's too distracting yeah. for me. Okay.
0: Oh. Uh, and for you, Mark, what's what's one good thing about the all this extra material, characters, etc., and what's one bad thing?
1: Uh, probably my favorite thing was that it added the Semerillion to the story, and I think the Semerillion has uh, a lot of good context as well as it got you know some good good storyline, and it doesn't go into depth like this movie does. Uh, you know, it's really just kind of oh, this is what happened you know just a real brief broad stroke and you know it allowed him to tell a bigger story and and I like that because I think the semrillion is overall important to the entire tolkien world and it's good to be told that a lot of people don't haven't read the semrillion a lot of people won't read it uh, it is a tough read if you've ever read any of his other books, you know, are tough reads. They're not like an easy read. So it, it's nice that they added this in. I, I really did like that. So the extra material that they brought in is definitely an A-plus an move to me. Um, I would have to say the thing I didn't like, hmm, it's tough to call because I – I did like a lot and it's easy for me to say they added in all the extras you know like all the stuff that wasn't in the book but overall I, I, I still enjoyed it you know but just as an avid reader it took it away from it a little for me but I think the one thing that I would have to say that just bothered me was not giving Bilbo his hero moment with the spiders you know, that was his moment, and I think it really kind of took away, and they did a lot to give him his other hero moments, I know, in the movie and stuff, but I think throughout the books, that was his one huge hero moment. He just, you know, defeated this entire band of uh, of spiders and ran them off by himself, and we just didn't get to see that, you know, he fought some weird grub on the ground and recovered his ring, and that was really it, that was kind of his thing, so... That was probably the one thing I just didn't like in general uh, is that. But overall, great movies, great as a series as a whole. I mean, I definitely give it a strong A minus. I mean, I give it an A, you know, uh, if it wasn't for a few things, but a strong A minus as a whole. You know, individual movies, you can go back and forth. But, I mean, you can't go wrong with this series. I, I think everyone should see it and watch it over and over again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and for me, uh, you guys toast on a lot of things that I like. Um, and my dislikes are pretty much the same. I think we're all on the same page. For me, having the extra material expanded, the the book and the kind of the story, uh, I went back and when Lord of the Rings came out in the early two thousands, you know, I went back and read The Hobbit, read the books, the trilogy, read the. Simil- in And the hollow was my least favorite because it was just too simple. It was kinda of boring for me in a lot of parts. Uh but this movie brought the excitement back for me. I enjoyed the story. It I was more relatable to me. Um the extra things, they're believable. I mean it it could have happened. It wasn't like it was this outlandish thing that you're like, oh there's no way that fit into this story. Um So for me, it just made it better, a better story overall. And I think that's probably the biggest thing, along with the other things that you guys have said. And my least favorite um, is probably Legolas. I mean, I like Legolas as a character, but I would have just rather have seen him for a little bit in the second movie, and then he goes his way. Um, They did bring him in to try and tie... This trilogy and with the next trilogy i think there's a scene if well there is a scene at the end of this film where uh legolas is talking to his father and his father kind of finally breaks down a little bit he's a little more emotional he just had that moment with tariel and he tells legolas to to go find strider the man you know man of the north and i thought that was too much of a stretch you know it's like how does he know Strider? Where did that come from? I think you're trying a little bit too hard. and that's that's the effect of having Legolas in the film. Like you're trying too hard to tie him together when if you take him out of this third movie, it fits it still fits fine. It still fits great. So um, that's thats just kind of my perspective. But uh, he did have some cool scenes, but I think it'd be interesting to see as we watch the next three films, if what he did in these films takes away from what he does in the next three. Cause that was kind of the draw of him in the, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is like, wow, he's pretty cool. He does all these great things, but now we've seen those things already. So how does it, how do they, how are they going to match that up when we watch the next three?
1: Yeah. Cause then it's not like new anymore, right? Yeah. It's not, it's just like, Oh, here it comes again. Yeah.
0: There's Legolas fighting all these orcs again. We've seen that already. Okay. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, and then to wrap it up, we see after the battle, Bilbo says goodbye to the dwarves and hey, you guys are my friends. If you ever in Bag End, come by any time. Tea is at four. You know, I'll be happy to have you guys come over. And he travels back to Hobbiton with his with with Gandalf and his his treasures. He's got his chest of gold and his war. And mementos and he shows up <laughs> in a slap in the face they all think he's dead and they're selling off his stuff <laughs> <laughs> like, it's hey, true he's like that's my chair that's my table what are you guys <laughs> they're
1: like no you're dead what do you mean i'm dead i'm standing <laughs> right here well you've been gone for a year so you're dead
0: yeah yeah that was, that was pretty funny uh he shows up He's pissed off that they're taking all his stuff, especially the Sackville Bagginses
1: taking his spoons. You like that? I like I actually like that tie-in. Yeah. Right? Because uh, in the original he's like, I caught her stealing my spoons, and then like it was her, still tried to take the spoons.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. But he you know he's, he says I'm not dead, you know. Get out of here. But and he goes inside his house and it's kind of a, a, a nice moment there he's looking through all his empty house and kind of remembering when the dwarf showed up in the first place It kind of brings it back to the beginning and he thinks about his adventures he he looks down he finds his uh, handkerchief that if you've read the book it's that's one of the he you know, always goes back to that, you know. Never leave home without your handkerchief. So he kind of picks it up and looks at it and like, eh, there, here it is. <laughs> Guess I should have yeah. it. Um, yeah. And something else. Uh, it's oh, yeah. kind of a
1: good moment, I think, because, like you said, it's like he's like happy to be home, and you can see it. Like it's like I'm home. You know, I did it. Like here I am, this this Hobbit that's never expected to do anything except live a Hobbit life, and I and I had an adventure. But then also you can kind of see it in him when it kind of fades out to his his old self, you know? Yeah. That the whole time he's been longing to have another adventure. Even though he was back and he was happy to be back, like, he just wanted to have another adventure. He wanted to, you know, go see mountains again, you know, mountains Gandalf. But he, he never got that again and you kind of feel bad for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so then, like you said, it fades to the old Bilbo that we see in Lord of the Rings trilogy and you hear a knock on the door and he's all no thank you and gandalf says what about very old friends and he jumps up and runs to the door and that's you know ties in beautifully to to how the fellowship of the ring starts and you just trans- there's that natural transition it doesn't feel forced it feels like you know it's always been a part of the the story and that's just kind of how the movie ends so Uh, For you, Kimball, what did you think of Bilbo coming home and finding out what's going on there? What was your thoughts on that?
2: I thought that was funny. how They were just uh, selling all his stuff, um, and he has to kind of prove that it's him. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, And then he comes home to the empty house. And I think at that point he's just kind of reflecting on what has happened the past year of his life. I would have liked if they would have, at this point, um kind of reflected on the first film, like maybe shown like Bilbo thinking like, oh, this is whenever the dwarves started to come in and kind of replaying scenes a little bit. Yeah. Like where they show them kind of like half half see through where you can still see the walls in the his house, but you're seeing these flashbacks. Right. I think that would have been cool. I would have liked that. So it kinda ties in the first film, but I really did like how they showed the old Bilbo talking to Gandalf and just how they did that with the first film with Frodo coming in like that beginning and that ending was just perfect. You can't you can't tie those other movies in better than the way they did like it it flowed so seamlessly. It was it was great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it gave me chills when it Punk came up and then it transitions, you know, you start to hear the song at the end, The Last Goodbye, sung by Billy Boyd, who plays Perrin in the next trilogy. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. Um, who knew he, Who knew that Perrin could sing, right?
1: Well, I mean... <laughs> well, they sing the I, bar I songs, right? Movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I, I get you, and it was just kind of... It was a really good ending. I, um, you know, a great wrap up to a great, you know, great trilogy there, and um, I I liked it. I I didn't actually know it was him until just now, but now that you said that, I'm like, oh yeah. Now I can, I can, I can compare, you know, and to the voice to it, and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, no, it was a, a great ending overall. Great, great music. Proper ending.
0: Yeah. Kimball.
2: I like that um, they show they kind of bring back Pepin to sing that song because he sings that a cappella song to Denethor in the Return of the King, and that's a that's a very beautiful song. My oh, wife yeah. loves that. That's she, always, uh, she always a she always tears up at that scene. That's a very special one for her, and so she was really excited whenever Pepin comes in and sings this last song. Even though Pepin's not a character in this in this story, it's fun to have him just uh, kind of uh, as like a memory of lord of the rings yeah
0: yeah in chronologically uh in film release order, this is the last movie of middle earth as far as we know and so how to have it be entitled the last goodbye has a, a double meaning you know the last goodbye for bilbo um the end of the the trilogy there but for the audience you know it's the the end of the six movies basically and a uh, Very emotional song, uh, you know, it's pertinent to, you know, talks about some elements of the story and just Hobbit life, you know, you kind of, with Pippin singing it, the character, the actor who plays the character Pippin singing it, you kind of get that Hobbit feel and just overall great selection for an, a final song of this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah so that's uh, battle of the five armies um last movie in the hobbit trilogy and just want to give you guys a minute to talk about final thoughts on on this film and or the trilogy um uh, kind of overall feel for it um do you want to take that first kimball
2: yeah so this film was great i give it an a all around the board um when this film came out, when they were doing the promos for it, there was the hashtag one last time. Yeah. That's, that's what Thorin says, you know, will you join me to battle, come to battle with me one last time? I thought that was cool. I like that one last time theme. And as a little Easter egg, um, this film came out when I was dating my wife and on the back of our wedding announcements, I used that hashtag one last time as, um, a little tribute to these films, because we had the little thing. Um, we said, like, two people um, met in two different places, like, fell in love. There was just, like, uh, incidences of two, and then at the, at the bottom of that it says, like, fell in love and then hashtag one last time. It was a little clever little jingle that I liked, and I wanted to place that in there, and so far no one noticed it. I thought I would get some text messages, but I don't <laughs> think anyone caught that little easter egg so i just wanted to include that i really like these films are great and i'm excited to uh continue into the middle earth universe and going forward into lord of the rings
0: yeah cool yeah i didn't i didn't notice it sorry <laughs> i'll have to go back
2: did you up. not get my wedding invite
0: no i did <laughs> i didn't i probably saw it but i was like didn't put it together so my bad pretty cool though what about for you mark final uh, thoughts what final thoughts on this film and or the trilogy
1: yeah um you know we just kind of talked about you know the last goodbye and uh you know the song and that's just kind of like what it was i mean this i think this whole series jr R., you know tolkien created a world and a and uh, book writing style and everything that that was so appropriate, and it kind of opened the gates to what we're seeing today. He's kind of like the first forerunner that really did it. And the last goodbye was was, uh, was perfect for that. You know, his series is over, and uh, you know it's time. You know, it's almost like felt to me like it's you know this was great, but it's time's done, and it's you know like there's other things out there and. And, uh, time, you know, it was, I don't know, I I just felt like it was like, you know, move, moving it on, moving it forward, you know, to something else, you know, to other writers, to other to other worlds, to other creators. Because J.R. Tolkien, I mean, this Lord of the Rings world, Middle Earth is, is so huge, and there's so many fans, and, and it's just been great. It, it was a great read when I was young, it was a great watch when I got older. I remember when the first, very, very first movie came out, Lord of the Rings um i went to it and i was just amazed i saw this series you know and and uh, you know next and it was great so i mean it it's just a great series be a fan read the books read them all um but you know you, you can't go wrong with it uh like has been said you know books a plus movies a minus i mean uh really good um the casting was amazing i don't think they got any of the casting any of the major characters wrong i think they were all great top to bottom yeah. um and uh you know i felt like they really kind of helped match the uh who the characters were in the books as well so um you know i guess if you have to sum it down to a final thought it's uh, amazing great amazing
0: yeah yeah i would agree with both what you guys said um uh it is the final film from middle earth that that we'll get as far as we know right now and i thought it was a fitting end to the saga the trilogy uh the movie you know the last scene with Bilbo returning home uh very emotional very pertinent to the overall story i didn't feel like there was a moment in this movie that just lagged i was like oh i can't wait to get past this part or this scene you know very well directed very well written um very well acted, you know, across the bar. Definitely for me it's an A. This movie's an A, trilogy A minus. I feel like um I think having the source material that they had gave them so much to work with, right? Cuz they didn't even use everything. Um they could have used more, I think. But with uh J.R. tolkien creating this world you know it kind of sets the tone and then from there they can expand it and improve upon it even more and i think that you know the the influence of of tolkien and his works shines through in these movies and that's what makes these movies great Uh, i think if you just had a, a writer writing a script and even if it was a very detailed story and a detailed script it wouldn't this movies, these movies wouldn't be as good as they are. So definitely Tolkien is the man. Peter Jackson did a great job of, you know, translating what he wrote into visual form and audio form as well. Cause the, the soundtracks, the audio design, you know, everything that we hear in these films was amazing as well as what we saw. So, so that's, uh, the uh, hobbit rewatch trilogy episodes that we've kind of tackled the last couple couple weeks uh, we will be moving on to the lord of the rings trilogy starting with the fellowship of the ring and we'll kind of do the same treatment the same journey with the next three films i'm looking forward to it and i know that um the both of you are, are great Tolkien fans as well as fans of these movies. And I think we'll continue to have a great time. So w- want to thank Kimball for joining us. Uh, from what I understand, you'll be back for the next three as well. hmm Great. And then Mark, as always, it's great to have you chime in and let us know what it wasn't in the book. I, we give you a lot of grief for it, but <laughs> I think it's I think it's very important to, have, to know... Hey, this part was in the book. This was, you know, Token's vision. And this is Peter Jackson's interpretation or addition. I think it's it's just as important as anything else to, to have that differed, differing... Differentiate. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> word. So, I mean, it brings an extra element to, to the podcast, I believe. So thank you for all that, it's, you know, you've read and contribute to this, these episodes. So... I want to thank you guys for listening we're happy that you're taking time out of your day and your life to listen to this and hopefully we'll have you guys uh, participate online and you know chime in on what your thoughts are of this movie as well as the whole saga that we're re-watching we want to hear what you guys have to say feel free to join us on facebook facebook.com slash random as well as twitter or instagram you can also email us at random at me.com and as always you can find us on itunes soundcloud.com randomangst on stitcher by searching for randomangst and on our website randomangst.com we will be pushing some content some exclusive content to our patreon account and you can find us there patreon.com randomangst and we encourage you to check that out in the future And we want to thank you guys once again for joining us on this podcast. And we look forward to talking about the Fellowship of the Ring next time. So we'll catch you guys next time.
1: See you guys.
2: Bye.
4: Calling And I Must Away Over hill And under tree Through lands Where never Light is shone By silver streams That run down To the Sea Under clouds Beneath the stars Over snow On winter's morn I turn at last To paths That lead home And oh, where the road Then takes me I cannot tell We came all this way But now comes the day to bid you farewell Many places I have been Many sorrows I have seen But I don't regret, nor will I forget All who took that road when never light is shine by silver streams that run down to the sea to these memories I will hold with your blessing I will go to turn and last to pass this way but now comes the day to beat you